You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. I know that many of you who are listening to this podcast will be experiencing a market crash for the first time. I also know that many of you are invested in ETFs. In this episode, I talk to the co-founder of BetaShares ETFs, Ilan Israelstam. We talk about how ETFs are holding up, which ETFs are doing well, and what the crash means. I hope you are well and enjoy this conversation with Ilan from BetaShares. Ilan, thanks for joining me on the show, mate. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Owen. I thought uh, it was timely to have you on the program because we've had some news out recently. Obviously, the market's been in a pretty volatile shape. We've had some news out recently of some ETFs closing down um, and a few other things coming down the pike. So uh, it's, I guess, timely that we, we talk here today. But maybe before we get to that, you can just tell me a bit more about you and um, the business that you co-founded. Yeah, that's right. So my name's Ilan. I am indeed uh, one of the co-founders of a company by the name of BetaShares ETFs. So we're one of Australia's largest ETF companies. Um, I'm also the principal of an Australian investment company, which is called Apex Capital Partners. And we uh, come on to BetaShares in a minute, but Apex Capital Partners invests in early stage financial services, fintech businesses. Mm-hmm. But as to BetaShares itself, so BetaShares runs uh, one of the, lar- well, the largest um, suite of ETF funds in Australia. We have 61 exchange traded products, mm-hmm. uh, total funds under management of around $10 billion. And so those are funds that are all, all able to be bought and sold on the ASX like a share. 
So uh, that means that there's no paperwork required to invest in them. There's no minimum investment beyond what a broker might add to your investment. And uh, it provides exposure to all sorts of things, asset classes, strategies, et cetera, which we'll probably talk about. So I imagine a number of your listeners and viewers would be familiar with ETFs and BetaShares is one of the larger players in, in the Australian space. Yeah, I'm sure if they've been investing for any considerable length of time that they would no doubt have come across your ETFs on the market because as you say, um, largest issuer by number of ETFs, but also one of the largest um, issuers by total amount invested. So um, it's a great thing that you've done creating the business that you have. And if I can uh, just reference a, a recent report that came out from you guys, you obviously track the ETF market as a whole, not just your own funds, but what else is going on in the market. And if I'm not mistaken, even though we had a pretty volatile February 2020 um, there was still a lot of money going into ETFs. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about ETFs is that yeah, the, there's two parts of the ETF value, isn't there? There's the actual the value of the underlying assets. So the industry is made up by the value of the underlying assets that we aim to track and then also how much people are investing. So when we talk about how the ETF industry is going on a month-by-month month, on a year-by-year year basis, we're taking into account not only whether the markets or the assets have risen or fallen, but also whether people have put money in. And so, yeah, February was a scenario where the asset values had fallen. So the total value of the ETF industry dropped a little bit, but the number of inflows, i.e. people put in more money than they took out, which is pretty typical of what we see um, in the markets around the world when it comes to ETFs. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's, it's a great thing because what we emphasize a lot with ETFs and just investing in general, I guess, is dollar cost averaging, investing regularly, not necessarily timing the market, but just allocating money to investing and, and I guess the long-term wealth creation. So it's great to see that people are still doing that, even though we're seeing a lot of volatility. Speaking of volatility, obviously it's timely that we speak now. There has been a lot um, of pretty rocky days recently. So I'm, I'm keen to pick your brain on what we've seen in equity markets. I know there are particular ETFs in your suite that have done very well. Um, maybe not so much. It doesn't come at the cost of other ETFs, but definitely at, at, at the cost of the market as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, well, it's been really a time for the ages. Uh, and obviously that time is not finished yet. Uh, you know, we're recording this in the middle of March. Uh, so it is an incredibly volatile time in the market. And I, I think it's fair to say that there's actually nobody really who would have seen what we've seen before. Even those people that were around in the, their careers during the global financial crisis and the tech wreck, um, the, what we haven't seen before is the absolute rapidity or this pace, the mm. pace of this volatility. I mean, the, the pace at which this is changing on a day-to-day basis is, is truly unprecedented. Um, and it really is, I think, you know, for your listeners and, 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 and viewers, a really interesting time. Because what it means is that for most people who are listening to this, to this video, on paper, you know, your portfolios are worth probably a fair bit less. But it's important and it is on paper only. So, you know, you haven't actually lost anything until you actually sell it. Mm. And so, you know, I'll answer the question by also just providing a little bit of thoughts, which is that panic selling is, is really just that. You have to ask yourself, you know, why am I actually even considering selling at the moment? Do I need the money? And if you do, well, that's, that's unfortunate. If you need the money and uh, you have to sell, then that's where you have a situation where you're selling at you know, arguably a, a very poor time. But I would imagine that the vast majority of the people that are listening to us here 
don't really need that money and they're rather, you know, they're rather are focusing on their emotional construct, you know, rather than a logical construct. And so that's where you've got to really try to be patient um, because, you know, when you've become comfortable watching your investments consistently go up every day or at least every week or every month. And as hazard the guess, that's what almost everybody listening to mm. has been seeing because we've been in such a long bull market. It can be super jarring to watch those investments essentially fall out of bed. And, but that doesn't mean you should you know, sort of steer clear or be chased away from the stock market, especially if you've got a long-term horizon. And that's the whole point. I imagine that most of the people who are listening to this do have a long-term horizon. You know, risk is supposed to make us feel uncomfortable because that's where return comes from. So you don't have risk, you don't have return. And so when it works against us, when risk works against us, it can be really scary and frightening for us all. But true wealth comes from being disciplined. And this is the time to be disciplined. So my view has been, and I've said this before to the younger members of, of the team here, is that if you, the investors in this environment who are able to stay calm, stay invested and stay diversified, it's pretty important as well. And this is obviously where ETFs play a part. Mm. will be the ones who, if you see this as a big storm, you know, weather that storm and reap the rewards when the sun comes out and when the clouds dissipate. And so this is not a time to be panicking. Uh, it's a time to focus on, on logic, not emotion. Mm. It's easier said than done, but that's, I think, what, what this is all about at the moment. I, I totally agree with you, Ilan. We've, we've seen or heard of people going from lots of risk assets, so you know, shares or equities, going 100% cash. It's just like a paddle. They've flipped from taking all this risk to wanting none of it at all, but this is only after the fact. And you know, I find that particularly concerning when we're talking about a super and those types of investment vehicles where we're investing for 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years for people. So that's particularly concerning for me. But I hope maybe we can uh, segue into talking about the different asset classes. So obviously we've seen shares in particular come off a long way since the beginning of February. Um, at the same time, I read uh, something from you guys recently that, that noted some of the funds are actually counteracting that. Yeah, that's right. So, well, I guess there's, there's really, um, there's, there's a number of different asset classes. There's shares, there's bonds, there's commodities, gold, etc. And um, so starting with the very most obvious funds, the ones that have done particularly well, which are a type of share investment, is, is our bear suite of funds. Mm. Um, so those funds... Uh, essentially have been designed by us to basically go up when share markets go down. And we've got ones that go up in a non-leveraged way when the share markets go down. And we've got two equity-oriented funds that go up in a leveraged way when either the US or the Australian share market goes goes down. And those funds, so BEAR, B-E-A-R, is the fund that is a non-leveraged exposure to the Australian stock market but negatively correlated. And BBUS and BBOZ, you probably work out from their names, they're both leveraged and one is over the US share market and one is over the Australian market, providing negatively correlated, magnified uh, returns to those, to, to those share markets. So needless to say, if we see tremendous <laughs> falls in those 
Australian or US share markets as there has been, so too we have seen pretty significant rises in those funds from an asset value perspective. Um, and so those are just obvious ones. We can talk a bit more about them. But yes, those ones clearly are being used by people either to hedge or to profit from, from falling markets. Yeah, so just to clarify what you mean there when you say leverage versus not, effectively these, the bear ETF in particular is designed to do one for one, but in the other direction. So if the Australian share market falls 1%, it is designed to go up 1%. And the others, which are leveraged, will move more in either direction. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So people are using these effectively, as you said, to hedge, so to protect some of their downside and maybe in some cases all of their downside, um, whereas others, um, I guess, just use you know, as a slight little sleeve in, in their portfolio across different share markets. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and because, again, if you're thinking about, I mean, we've had actually a whole lot of outpouring of very positive investors. Obviously, they're, they're happy that we've got these funds because if you think about it, for those types of people who are actually willing to take that sort of exposure, and I do want to say that it is, it takes a particular person because mm, share markets typically go up. So if you're willing to take that exposure and you're actually willing to take a short exposure, which is you know, a pretty uncomfortable thing to do and in many ways you have to be sort of know what you're doing. The point is if you do want to take that exposure, it's actually been very, very hard to do that um, as an individual investor without these funds. Um, and importantly, they don't involve any margin calls. So people, so people may be familiar or may not be familiar with the fact that sometimes when you go short using other methods, you can lose more than you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, these don't not, that does not happen in these funds. And they can be bought and sold like any share. So it's a very accessible way to do it. But I will continue to say that you know, markets typically go up. And so short-term investing um, in, 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 in short exposures is one thing. But long-term hold outside of using it for a hedging purpose would be something that, you know, very few people would be able to withstand. Mm, For sure. One thing that we talk about when it comes to ETFs is, you know, we can go into our brokerage account, we can buy and sell pretty easily, but we are familiar, well, at least most of us would be familiar with this idea of liquidity. So we know that the ETF is really like a pass through to whatever's been beneath the underlying assets. And some of the things that people may not necessarily understand as well are things like bonds, um, you know, physical um, assets like gold or even uh, currencies to an extent. Mm. How are you seeing it as an ETF issuer? How are you seeing it being able to provide that mechanism? So I know like credit markets is something that kind of bamboozles everyone, mm. but it's something that I guess some people perceive as a, as a, as a risky thing in market dislocation. Yeah. So I suppose, the importance of any the importance of having a broadly diversified range of ETFs now available on the Australian stock exchange is that people can construct diversified portfolios, and when you get a little bit more uh, able to understand investing, doing that is really a very clever thing to do because markets typically don't all move in the same direction. So it's not common, um, you know. And now we're dealing with a very uncommon situation, but it's not common for bonds to fall when share markets rise and, 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 and vice versa, or rather more, more likely the case, it's reasonably common for bonds to rise in value when share markets fall in value. So that's the idea of diversification. Um, so, and of course, within bonds, there's all different types of bonds. So I think what you're talking about in terms of the credit market, this is essentially corporate bonds. Mm. This is corporate bonds, bonds, bonds that are issued by companies to raise money for their activities. Um, you know, they ultimately will have a higher risk than, um, you know, than bonds issued by the Australian government. And so in every asset class, is a different form of risk. And so 
the idea is just to be quite diversified such that if, for example, there's a, a problem in the, in the Australian corporate bond environment, then having Australian government bonds will be a safe haven. So having that diversification available to you via the ETFs is actually a very valuable thing for investors. And I think more than ever, we're seeing how important diversification could be. Because even though there's no question that right now, even the most risky bonds, you know, corporate bonds, are, you know, have been dropping in value. They've still been dropping in value significantly less mm. than the share market, uh, which would mean that the addition of ad adding bonds to your portfolio would actually be a benefit. And if you held the even less risky bonds, such as the government bonds, then obviously those have held up very, very well. So... Um, I don't think there's necessarily a question of one being more risky than the other. I mean, the, the thing that we have to understand is that shares are generally more risky than bonds, which in turn are more risky than cash. And gold has its own, you know, has its own structure and movement. So um, diversification is one thing that I definitely would encourage everybody to look at. And I think the market has shown that, you know, if, for example, somebody decided they only wanted to buy one stock, and let's say they thought that they were going to have a great buy and buy Qantas shares, and that's the only way they acted the share market, that would have been down dramatically more than just buying, you know, the ASX 200 or our A200 ETF. Um, mm. Even though that has also gone down, it would have gone down much, much less than, for example, a Qantas share. So essentially, these different instruments really just allow people to construct portfolios that are diversified and therefore ultimately less risky on a risk return basis than, than owning shares alone. I was thinking of an analogy coming into this call. I was thinking of how can I describe what happens once your money goes into an ETF? And we often describe an ETF as a basket. So instead of buying each individual thing, you buy the basket. And at the moment, shoppers are going to supermarkets and they're noticing that shelves are empty. Um, so imagine I've, I've paid you as beta shares to go and get this basket of shares or bonds for me. Um, if there's if there's someone out there who rushes in to try and buy or trade these ETFs, that's probably not necessarily the best way to go about it. As we've seen with the supermarkets, it's probably better to stagger your buying and, and take your time with shopping, right? So I imagine most people that are listening to this are probably thinking, yeah, I'm a long-term investor, but in your opinion, is, is that the way that people should be treating ETF investing or can they use it more as like a trading instrument? The truth is that you can use it for both. Um, because there's so many different types of ETFs now that you can actually use it for both. So those, you know, magnified or short bear, the strong bear funds that I mentioned, those are very much trading instruments, except if used for hedging purposes. So I think the thing is that there's enough ETFs in the market now to be used for, for trading. But I think for the vast majority of your investors, they can be considered as really low cost, liquid and transparent long-term investment tools. And so whether that's just buying into a diversified ETF that does it all for you, you know, we've got a range of diversified ETFs that, that own, you know, own the bonds, own the global shares and own the Australian shares ETFs, or whether it's constructing your own portfolio. I think owning for the long term and sticking to discipline is probably what it's all about for the vast majority of investors, particularly, you know, in the age bracket that are likely to be listening to this. So I do think that they can be used for both, but they are an excellent long-term wealth creation and savings tool. Um, and you're right that if you've got a particular sense, and particularly when markets are volatile now, it does make sense to dollar cost average, as you say. If you've got $100 to invest, and I'm just using a you know, hypothetical figure, it might make sense to break that up into $25 components and buy it over four periods and just buy it on one day. 
um, because the market at the moment is moving crazy. Um, and so you can't really be sure where it's going to begin or end. But you do know most likely that for people with long-term horizons, owning an ETF you know, of a diversified basket of, 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 of either shares or even a diversified asset class ETF you know, will generally make their money over the long, long term um, if they're disciplined and stick with the, you know, stick with the game. Mm-hmm. Great. So there, there are some questions that I have here from some of our members and from some of our readers. Yeah. Uh, when you have, so this is huge Australian shares and Australian bond ETFs. When you have those and let's say you wake up and it's like a day we've had in the last week and you see the share market's down five or 10% or it's up five or 10%. If I'm going into my brokerage account and making a transaction, what's the best way to do that? Should I be waiting until the market opens? Should I be setting price limits or market orders or those types of things? Yeah, that's right. So there is, um, there are some tips associated with with buying and selling or investing in ETFs. And I think the first thing is we generally suggest that people don't buy them at the beginning of the day and also don't buy them at the very end of the day. So maybe stick to, I don't know, 11 till three. I mean, yeah. And the reason for that is that um, the ETF liquidity, the way in which ETFs are bought and sold, you can either buy and sell it from another ETF owner like, you know, like yourself. If you want to sell, so I could buy from you. But also the extra element we have for liquidity to make sure there's, you know, there's constant opportunity to buy and sell the products are what's known as market makers. And those market makers just may not be quite as active at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Um, the market makers are there to basically make sure that you're trading you can trade in and out whenever you like, and also that you're trading close as, as close as possible to your true value or net asset value. And so that's why the first thing we suggest is, is to, in fact, yeah, is to, is to use those, those particular hours when you're considering the trading day. And the second thing, as you've pointed out, Owen, is to use limit orders. Um, it just means that in case, you know, in case you put a, uh, um, in somebody had put a crazy number out there, um, and like another investor had put maybe, maybe even a fat finger or whoever, whoever the, whatever the case may be, put a number out there, which was, you know, particularly, you know, particularly high. Um, you know, if you used a, a market order and that happened to be the one that you, you would basically buy it at that price. So using a limit order is, is typically the way to go. And you can get a pretty good sense for, for the, the true value by essentially looking at the difference between the buy and the sell, you know, the bid and the offer. Um, you know, if, you, if you're there or thereabouts in the middle of those two or one cent away, two cents away, as the case may be, or somewhere in the middle, then you're pretty sure you're going to be getting, you know, fair value in, the, in you know, or very close to fair value in your investment. So, yeah, that is the way. Um, we, those are some of the things we suggest yeah. uh, making those investments. Yeah, one of the things that have come through uh, as a question was price discovery. So allowing, I guess, the ETF market maker, just allowing the financial markets to provide a, an efficient price to the end investor is important. So you're saying buy in the middle of the day um, or thereabouts, you know, don't just be the one that sets the order tonight for tomorrow and then just forgets about it or anything like that. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about was ETFs closing. Yeah. We've seen a lot of ETFs coming to market recently. Um, one thing I've always said is always focus on the well-established ETF providers, bed shares being one of them. Yeah because you don't want to have the case where the ETF is unprofitable and it has to get closed at times like this. Yeah. So what happens when an ETF closes and kind of what are the things that we should be looking for? Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess the most important thing to understand before we, when we talk about this topic is that if an ETF closes, you don't lose your money. Mm. Critically important. And that, by the way, is also the case if an ETF provider or issuer closes. 
Um, and so I'll start with those two things in, 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 in sequence. The first thing is, if the, the, way, the way that ETFs are set up is that the ETF value, the ETF units or the ETF assets are actually held in a separate account, which do not uh, form part of the balance sheet of the ETF issuer. So it's a segregated, what we call custodian account. Apologies for that noise. Um, so those custodial accounts are there for the benefit of the unit holders. And so if the ETF issuer was to close down, start with that scenario, what would happen is that custodial account would still be there. There'd still be the value of those assets. They'd still be essentially moving um, based upon their underlying assets. You wouldn't be able to trade it at that exact moment. And what would typically happen in that case is that the custodian would basically go out and try to find another ETF issuer to manage those accounts. That ETF issuer would come be put in place and then, and then you'd be able to trade it. If that wasn't to happen, and now this will also be the same scenario if an ETF was to close down, so either there is no there is no ETF issuer who wants to come in and um, you know take on you know take on this, or uh, the ETF was to close down. Importantly, you do not lose your money. It's really important you mm -hmm. don't lose your money. But what will happen is you might become essentially a forced seller. So what will happen is that there'll be a period by which let's take the ETF closure scenario, by which the issuer and this has happened in Australia several times. We haven't closed one before, but it's happened in Australia before. Um, the ETF issuer would put out a notice onto the ASX that says, we intend to cease trading this fund. And they usually give a fair bit of notice. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll cease trading this fund in four to six weeks' time. You obviously can then use those four to six weeks to get out, you know, to get out when you want to, but you will need to get out in that period. And if you do not get out of that period, what will happen is the ETF will close and the value on the day of its closure will be the value you know, that, that accrues to yourself and you will essentially receive the proceeds of those. You won't obviously get the shares. You'll receive the cash value of those particular ETF units um, at the price of the closure. So it is important to understand you won't actually lose any money, but what will happen is you don't get a chance to, to sell it when you want to. And yeah. for some people, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a bad outcome, but at least you don't obviously lose the money. It's pretty important to know that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't, you want the decision to be yours, whether it's for yeah. tax reasons or for portfolio management or what have you. Um, as we come to the end of this, Ilan, I just wanted to get your general thoughts on portfolio management. We've, you, you said it at the top of the show, we had some, we've had some people you know, really panic selling at the moment. They're just freaking out. They don't know what to do. Do you have any general thoughts around portfolio management at times like this other than what you've already said? Look, I don't have many more thoughts than what I've already said, which is the importance of remaining calm definitely not selling unless you absolutely have to. And I, I really do think there's very few people who absolutely have to, particularly in the sort of individual investor world. I think some institutional investors have to sell for a variety of reasons. I don't think many individual investors have to sell on the day when the market drops, you know, 10%. That just seems like a very strange thing to do for an individual investor. So I do, will repeat, you know, remaining calm, sticking to discipline, and then, then just making sure you've got a good, rounded investment portfolio made up not just of a single one or two shares, uh, made up of a portfolio of, of investments, preferably even involving some global and some Australian shares, and maybe even involving some bonds if you, know, if, if you want that little bit of you know, extra, uh, extra defense in your portfolio. Um, and then you just have to know what sort of investor you are. There'll be the kind of investors out there in your community that actually are willing to buy these dips, right? And this. That's a very reasonable approach. So buy when the market, you know, buy, buy when there's blood on the streets. You, you can do that. But if you're not that type of investor, at the very least, just remain calm, stick to your, 
to your portfolio strategy, maybe dollar cost averaging when you feel brave enough, or at the very least hold, I think is, is probably what, you know, probably what these current times call for. Uh, and as I said before, those that do that will be the ones who are able to sort of feel good about themselves when the clouds eventually clear and the sun comes out and they would not have taken a huge, most hopefully not a huge, you know, a huge bath on their trade and they can, you know, sell at a time when they, when they desire in the future. Mm, well said, Elon. Well said. Okay. So as we come to the end, how can people find out more about you and BetaShares? Yep. So, I mean, betashares.com.au has, you know, all our, all our materials. We publish a weekly newsletter, which people can sign up for on that particular website. We've also got a course, uh, which is an email-based course, ETF 101 course, which if they're interested in, they can, you know, they can sign up for, particularly as a new investor. So that's the yeah, best right. way. Obviously, I'm personally available on, on, on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, etc. Great. Yeah, I'll put a, plenty of show notes in for this uh, podcast episode. All right, Elon, thanks um, as always for joining me on the show and, and good luck with the market volatility. Thanks a lot. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.